dark nights are filled up with troubled dreams and days filled with doubt and despair. I turn my eyes up above and look to the mercies of the one whose unfailing love is faithfully there. I want to talk to you about something everybody struggles with, how to overcome any kind of discouragement that will come along in your life. Discouragement is just part of life. Uh, you can't have a high without a low. You, you, have to, uh, you have to understand that life is symbiotic, meaning it's not just you know everything going up. It's, it's a symbiotic thing. There's days you get up, you feel better than others. There are successes you have. Every, in fact, in the Bible, there's a pattern. Every great victory was followed by a great testing. And it happens to us here. And when you have victory, there's a testing afterwards. Life can hand out some massively discouraging events. Uh, by the way, this sermon is going to hopefully lift you up and encourage you as you give you the tools, if you don't already know about them, to overcome the things that may come in your life. Tonight, by the way, the message title is, that is not a discouraging thing. But I hope if you looked in your bulletin and looked at the title of the message, you may say, man, I don't want to come to that. No, you do, because that's right out of the Bible. Uh, God, uh, God mentioned that, and uh, I hope we'll be encouraged after tonight also. Six o'clock, you come. Uh, I mean, things, things will come along in life that will literally take you to your knees. They will fill you and your heart with sorrow. They'll darken your world. They'll drag you down. They'll take away your ability to sleep or rest. Could be constant pain. Uh, could be a dis disappointment. Uh, oftentimes as parents, a child will either be injured or uh, hurt or possibly go wayward. and It's a constant drain and disappointment of energy, both emotionally and physically it drains us. When you do not have to live too long in this life to witness things happening around you that are hard to watch and experience. Well, what does a Christian do in the midst of that? What do you do? What do you do? Well, take your Bibles, and you're going to want to mark this verse. You want to go back to it once in a while. Revelation chapter 21, verse 14. I've never preached on this passage before, which for me, after all these years, I'm surprised about that. Revelation 21, 14, one short verse says, In the wall of the city, that's the New Jerusalem, had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Think about that for a minute. Let, let that soak a minute. This is the new Jerusalem coming down from God, this forever and ever going to be there. And the saints of God will dwell there. 
and Jesus Christ will be there and be the light of the city forever. What kind of an honor or privilege would it be to have your name on one of the foundations of the city? The 12 apostles have their names on the foundation of the heavenly Jerusalem. This is the city of the great king, Jesus Christ. Forever a place of honor and prestige, always as a reminder of the work and the sacrifice and the love these men had towards Jesus Christ, and maybe most of all, of the grace of God given to these 12 men. Now you're going to ask me, who's the 12th? And with uh, a strong sense of assurance, I believe it'll be Paul the Apostle. That's why he called himself Paul the Apostle. It won't be Mattathias, which was chosen in Acts chapter 1 uh, by the people there at the church. Because I don't know, they just were in a hustle to fill the 12th place because Judas Iscariot, which by the way never really was a legitimate apostle. Jesus always said, have not, have not I chosen you and one of you is a devil or the word demon. And that's the way he referred to Judas Iscariot. He referred to him as a son of perdition. Nobody wants to be referred to as he was. The twelfth, as Paul called himself, one born out of due season, stillborn, uh, this apostle born after Jesus had gone back to heaven. However, Jesus came back to testify and teach him and witness to him and uh, show him what great things he must suffer for Jesus' sake. I believe without, with, a, with a strong assurance that the twelfth name on that city will be Paul the Apostle. Uh, but these twelve, uh, having their name on the foundation is just the tip of the iceberg. That's just the tip of it. They have a, a special place even to sit in this new Jerusalem. Take your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. If you don't turn in your Bibles well or you struggle finding these places, don't worry about it. Just relax and listen. I'll read the verses for you. I don't, want to, I don't want you to spend your time hunting and then you're always a verse or two behind me and not paying attention to what's being said. It's better to listen to what's being said. This is on iTunes afterwards. This will also be on our website. It'll be all over the place. You'll be able to look at it again. And then in Matthew 19, it said, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? I think that's legit. I don't think he didn't get rebuked for saying it. He, he didn't get rebuked for that. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also, ye being all of you, plural. You also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Hello? Wow. They're not only going to have their names on the twelve foundation stones of this city, which, by the way, from, from the best figures, is about 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles high. Close to that. 
1,500 by 1,500 by 1,500. It's a big old place. Streets are solid gold. On and on it goes. It's a beautiful place. But notice verse 29. It says, and everyone. Now see, a lot of times we say, well, you know, that was the apostles. They walked with Jesus. They were chosen by Jesus. They were special people. I mean, they were. They chosen vessels. But he said, after he tells them that, he says, everyone. Now, everyone means you and me, right? Everyone means born-again believers after them. He says, everyone that forsaken houses, or if I may keep using the word forsaken here, forsaken brethren, or forsaken sisters, or forsaken father, or forsaken mother, or forsaken wife, or forsaken children, or forsaken lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. This is not a temporal reward that he's talking about. This is an eternal, never-ending reward. But, but there's more. There's more. Revelation chapter 22, verse 3 through 5 says, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. Now who are those people he is referring to in Revelation 22 there? That's all born-again believers. That's who he's talking about. Born-again believer. You born again today? Do you know Christ, your personal Savior? Do you know you know you have eternal life? You've had a witness of the Holy Spirit. You've had assurance of the Word of God that you have actually trusted Christ, repented of your sins. You believe Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, that in the third day he was indeed uh, physically, bodily, visually resurrected and eventually went to heaven and is now sitting on the right hand of the throne of God. You may not know all those details, but in essence, when you read it in the Bible, you believe it. The Holy Spirit confirms it. Everyone that have forsaken houses and brethren and sisters or father, mother, wife, children, or lands for my namesake. Why does he say that? Because God in many, many ways asks us to give those things up for him. At least be willing to give those things up. Now many times we're willing to give those things up, but we are not required to give those things up. No. But you're willing. I know when I got right with God at 18 years old, God started doing a lot in my heart, coming to me and dedication and, of course, the sins, the habits, and things I had picked up were beginning to fall off. But bigger than all that is he wanted me to serve him. I had plans of my own, dreams of my own, a whole life planned out already. But that was gone. That was gone. I gave it up. Put it on the altar. And, and, and the truth is, for 10 years I rented. In fact, in 10 years, we, my wife and I figured out we, went, we moved 10 different times, I believe, in 10 years. That I had my stuff slick in boxes, just kept it in boxes. We moved in some places. We never put anything up on the wall. Just left it because what's the point? And her sister visited us one time. Remember that? Oh, Beth? came a little duplex we were standing in, and she goes, what's going on, man? You got nothing on the walls. That's because we were 
at the beck and call of God. When he wanted us to move, we moved. You know, that was a good time of life. It would not be so easy to move now. I used to be able to fit everything I owned in my, I had a green Dodge van, 1973 green Dodge van, 360 motor. And I could put everything I had in that van, including my kid. And that was in a playpen. No seat belts back then, by the way. Just, you just put a playpen up through, put your kid back in there. Once in a while you let him play up on the dash, you know. And look what else goes on here in, in 22, verse 4. It says, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. That's the only kind of tattoo I want, brother. And there should be no night there, and they, they need no candle, neither light of the sun. Well, how's that? For the Lord God giveth them light. Literally, the word light there is luminary. God is going to make his children light bearers. When you walk in a room, it will light up because you are bearing light. And then, that's not all. And they shall reign forever and ever with Christ. By the way, does this seem to be a pretty great reward to you? You know, the apostles needed to hear this because their lives for Jesus that they lived here were full of trouble and going to be worse rather than better as time went on. That those apostles, which were his sweet chosen people, were going to suffer and die for him here. If you put all your marbles in this world, you're going to be mighty disappointed in God. But if you'll trust God and do what he wants you to do and keep your eye on the next world, you will not be disappointed. I just read it. Paul's life was full of suffering. In fact, Jesus said to Paul, I'm going to show him what great suffering he's going to do for my name. Now, just recently, I think it was Dr. Crabb, I don't know, maybe Brother Ludwig, you read the, the sufferings of, of uh, I think it was Dr. Crabb a couple weeks ago in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, 27. If you want to turn there, lists in detail, Paul lists the sufferings that he went through. Now, he didn't want to list that. He wasn't sitting there beating his chest. The Corinthian, there were, there were false teachers that entered into the Corinthian church that were saying Paul really wasn't an apostle, Paul wasn't worthy to be an apostle, he, he was self-declared apostle, what he was teaching about grace wasn't right, and they were constantly after him. And He had trouble following him everywhere he went. And, and, and so to convince them that he was, he became a fool. He said, I'm going to become a fool. I'm going to become a fool, and I'm going I'm to tell you what, a little bit of what God's doing. He says, are they ministers of Christ? That's these people that were accusing him of being false. I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. I've said this all. The first time's okay, but the second time ain't. The third time's worse. Four times worse. Fifth time. He, I, 
Paul was a mass of scar tissue. He was scar tissue over scar tissue over scar tissue. But that wasn't all. He said three times or thrice was I beaten with rods. That was, that was unbelievable. Once I was stoned, thrice I shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep floating in, in the Mediterranean. In journeyings, often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. I haven't suffered at all compared to any of that. I just am a sissy boy. And then they took him out at the end of that and beheaded him. He didn't die an honorable old man and have great years. He probably died in his 60s. They took him out and beheaded him. James, I did a little research. This is found in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, which you ought to have it at home or on your computer or wherever. Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a great book. Guy did spend his whole life researching the saints of God and how they've suffered for the kingdom of God. James, the brother of John, you know, the two sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee. Uh, they were the ones who wanted to call fire down from heaven because this town didn't receive Jesus. Let's just call fire. He said, I'm not coming here to kill everybody. I'm coming to save them. Amen. James, the brother of John, Acts chapter 12, the Bible says he died with a sword. His ministry was short. He, he got killed with a sword. Philip was scourged in prison and later crucified in 54 AD. Matthew was slain with an axe, with an axe-like instrument in 60 AD. James, the writer of the book of James that bears his name, was beaten, stoned, and his brains eventually were dashed out by a fuller's club. I had to look that up. A fuller's club is a hammer. Mattathias, even though he was, he was picked by the church as a, to be an apostle, Mattathias uh, was stoned in the end of his life and beheaded. Andrew, the brother of uh, Peter, was crucified on an X cross, the two ends of the wood being under. He was crucified on an X cross, hence the name St. Andrew's Cross. Mark, the writer of the book of Mark, he was dragged to pieces, dragged to pieces, until he finally just disintegrated the end of his life at the merciless hands of the people. Peter, uh, many of Peter was crucified. It's said that when they went to crucify Peter, he didn't want to be crucified like his Lord, and he asked him to be crucified upside down. Don't know if that's true, but I think the fact that he was crucified is pretty very, uh, viable. He was crucified. Jude, the writer of Jude, was crucified in 72 AD. Bartholomew was cruelly beaten and crucified. Thomas was thrust through with a spear and died. Luke, the writer of Luke, Acts, was hanged on an olive tree by, by the idolatrous priests of Greece. Simon, surnamed Zealot, was, or Zealot, was crucified in 74 AD in Britain. John, the beloved apostle John, remember that old conversation that Peter and John had at the end of the book of John? John is the only apostle that escaped a violent death. Isn't that interesting? 
John did not die a violent death. He died as an old man. Barnabas died in Cyprus, his home country, in about 73 A.D., uh, was, uh, was beaten and killed. There were these, these people that I just described to you were Jesus' beloved servants of the first century church. These were some of the people that he personally chose. But where are their names? On the 12 foundations. These are the ones who are going to sit on thrones. They're the ones that are going to reign with Christ forever and ever. So, how did they keep a good attitude and hope through the countless persecutions, trials, temptations, troubles, pain, suffering that they had to endure? How did they keep a good hope? How did they keep going? Because of some of what I just read for you had been told them ahead of time, Jesus said your reward will be worth it. Basically, the reward that I have for you is eternal. The suffering you do for my name is temporal. The loss that you'll give up by forsaken houses and lands, that's temporal loss. But the gain that you'll receive is eternal gain. Now, how do you compare something that lasts, let's say, at the very, very at the very outside, lasts a hundred years compared to never ending. There's not even any, they're not even, they're not on the same radar screen. They're not even comparable with each other. Something that's only a hundred years and that's over, as opposed forever and ever and ever. The hope set before them was bigger than the horror that they were living. That was it. That was it. They caught a glimpse. They caught a vision. They got convinced that the reward that was to come was worth the sacrifice of whatever measure it was in this life that Jesus asked them to do, and they gladly were willing to suffer for his name's sake. That's why Paul said the suffering of this present time isn't worthy to be put in the same Category as the glory that's going to come, brother. It's going to help you. And we Christians in America here, be honest with you, we've suffered about as little as a Christian can get by with suffering. If you think you're suffering a lot as a Christian, you're not. Historically, many times Christians had to give their life for their faith. Now, I think if the election had gone the other way, that may be true. Because that other side, they don't just not like us, they hate us. But God gave these people a hope. Take your Bibles to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. I couldn't, I couldn't do this without reading this. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Those people, some of those people I just read you that have been before. Now, if you read the whole book of a fox's book of martyrs, and that's just the tip of the iceberg of the ones he could find and, and the credibility of the witnesses that people gave. The, just through the centuries, people suffered and, were, and were, 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 their property was confiscated and taken away from them, and they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins and in caves whom the world is not worthy. These are our ancestors. 
that believed. These cloud of witnesses, he says because of those cloud of witnesses, now he's talking to you and me. Let us lay aside every weight, that's a hindrance, and sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How? Looking, and that's a constant looking, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. How did he do it? The same way. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider it. Meditate on it. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye, that's all of us, be wearied and faint in your minds. If you backslide and fall away from the things of God, it's going to be because you lost sight of these things. They, they got out of your mind. And you got weary. And you, and you fainted. He said, but you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Brother, the hope that was set before them, now let me, let me explain what hope is. It's explained in the Bible as good as anywhere you could explain it. Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25 is the best explanation anywhere I found in the Bible about what, what is hope. It says, for we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. People come to me and say, I just had somebody last week on the phone say, if God would just manifest himself to me, I'd believe. Contradictory to what God says. I can't tell you through the years, people have come to me and said, if God would do this, and if God would do that, and if God would show me this, and if God would show me that, quit looking for signs and wonders. Start looking under Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And if he shows you, you don't need faith. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. He already told you. Believe it. Receive it. And then hope in it. Hope. Hope. Hope that is seen is not hope. Romans 8.24 For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And that's what you're doing. That's what I'm doing. I'm just with patience, enduring hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure whatever comes my way in the, in the cause of Christ. Physically, mentally, socially, economically, and any other way you can define whatever comes my way, I'm willing to say, Jesus, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. I believe that you are who you said you were, that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe you're sitting on the right hand of the throne of God making intercession for me to not right at this moment. And I believe someday I'm going to get to see your face eyeball to eyeball.
And that's why the songs are written, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me, oh, to heaven's golden shore. And I don't feel at home in this world anymore. My hope's not here. My hope's not here. So the question I ask you this morning, are you a fair-weather Christian? Are you a fair-weather Christian? And what is a fair-weather Christian? That is, if things are going good, they love God and want to serve Him. If God's blessing your bank account, if God's blessing the work of your hands, and if God's blessing your health, you're good. I'm a good Christian. But if something is taken away, like your health, or maybe uh, your uh, mental abilities, or maybe physically you're in constant pain, or maybe a hundred other uh, possibilities, you get to be a poochy lip Christian. You know poochy lip? I'm, I'm not being treated right. Well, you haven't read the you haven't read the Fox's Book of Martyrs for sure. After I went through Fox's Book of Martyrs first time was probably uh, when I was in my early twenties. The first time I went through that book, I repented. I got down and said, "Jesus, forgive me for being a sissy. Forgive me for complaining. Forgive me for." feeling like somehow you didn't dish out the right things to me. God have mercy on my soul. I can't believe you put up with me. But it wants you to get a grip on who you serve and what's coming and the, and the, and the depth of what's coming. You'll speak like Paul spoke in 2 Timothy 1.12 where he said, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him. Against what? That day. Oh, we're closer to that day than we were yesterday. And over uh, almost 200 people at Gospel Baptist has come through this church and are already facing and have already gone on and have already realized what I'm talking about as, as an absolute reality. And I want you to do that too. Don't get weary in your mind. Don't backslide. Don't grab a hold of this world as if it's permanent. It'll slip through your fingers like trying to hold water. Don't the testimonies of Michael Jackson and Robin Williams, don't they teach you anything? Or Elvis Presley, or Jim Morrison, or Jimi Hendrix. Boy, I'm going back to the old folks today. Don't they teach you something? They had everything this world could offer. They had fame, they had fortune, and they had... Um, something else. They had any women they wanted. Anything you give them, they could have it. Everywhere they went, people, oh, hey, can I touch your hand? Would you sign this thing? I think it's old a little bit after a while. But they didn't please God. The old saint 
that pleases God oftentimes is not noticed by hardly anybody but God. And that's the only one you really need to notice. You don't need the world's accolades, man. You don't. This is the key, folks. This is the key. Keep the reward in focus. Know what is waiting for you and those who trust in Christ Jesus. Meditate on heaven. Sing about it. Walk with God and keep his commandments. Let me say this. Haven't been up to Tabernacle Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina for about three and a half years. Those where I said this before, there's a lot of mill workers in that in that church. Mill workers, that's when that's when we actually made clothes in America. Well, I hope we can come back to that. Made clothes in America. I bought a Make America Great hat. Said made in China. It wasn't from him. I thought the irony of the whole thing. One thing I noticed in three and a half years of being around them old, they're relatively poor people. They 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 own one home, and I carpeted a lot of them. I'm gonna say the dimensions of the home were fifty by fifty. One story, one story, 50 by 50. Four rooms, basically. A bathroom and four rooms. They lived their whole life in it. Worked 40, 45 years, died. Went to Tabernacle Baptist Church. What did they sing about? They sing about heaven all the time. Heaven, heaven, heaven. When I went in that church, they sang about heaven. The happiest group of folks I've ever been around, except in Haiti. Haiti, those, those people sing about heaven a lot. Why did they sing about heaven? Because what else they got? But the truth is, they're more close to reality than we that live in America, who think we possess a lot of stuff, but the truth is, you don't possess anything. Everything you got is going to be gone, going to be given to your children, going to be given to the IRS, <laughs> going to be given to Hillary, going to be given to somebody. Everything is going to be gone. And the only thing that we're ever going to keep is what Jesus said you're going to keep, which is what you do for him. In obedience and honest service to him. So this morning I, I present to you the reason why the apostles were able to go through what they went through and still be happy. How can you get whipped and sing, get chained to a wall, Rats crawling all over you. You're bleeding back and you sing all the way to mid. You couldn't sleep, so you were singing songs to where the jailer at the Philippi goes, what must I do to be saved? Because whatever you got, I got to have it. Well, that may be a new sermon. I got to have it. Oh, I'm glad I'm saved this morning. Are you glad you're saved? I hope you are. I believe you can overcome any discouragement. And, I, and I'm not trying to be mean, but you've got some coming. Rare is the exception person goes through this life without trouble. Rare, rare, rare. And I believe as a Christian you can right through it.
by keeping your eyes upon the Lord Jesus and upon and having that hope with patience we wait for that day when we receive a body like unto his glorious body and we receive the full adoption of sons. The world may laugh at us. Your friends may laugh at you. Your family may laugh at you. But they won't be laughing when that day comes. Live for Jesus. Don't, don't, don't let anybody, anything, pull you away from that. No. I've said this, I've said it before, I'll say it one more time. If everybody around me goes to hell, I don't want to go to hell. If everybody around me deserts Jesus, I don't want to desert Jesus. If everybody around me quits the Bible, I don't want to quit the Bible. You're not going to live a life of hypocrisy to where I'm going to get discouraged. All I'm going to say is, well, they shouldn't have done that. They ought to live for Christ. But Jesus never disappointed me, and he never will. You live for him. Father, help us this morning. Give us wisdom from above. Oh, my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. That was David. Father, help us. I believe this Holy Spirit, through this message, which I was led to do, somebody in this room, maybe more than one, it was just for them. The Holy Spirit knew they were going to be here. You knew it. And the message was just for them. Father, may it be so. May the Spirit of the living God explain it to us better than I could. I don't know what the future holds for Christians in America. I know sometimes it's so hard to survive prosperity. Maybe one of the most difficult tests a Christian can go through is continued and constant prosperity. We seem to do so much better under persecution, so much better under testing. God help us. Help us to do well even in this moment that we live. To serve you and to be honest, to be real, to be zealous for the things of God. If you're here without Christ, you don't know Him as your personal Savior, we're here to help you. We love to explain what it means to be saved, have the gospel. We're not pushy. We'll be honest with you in it. One-to-one, man with man, a woman with a woman, in a room in the back. Just simply pray with you, show you the gospel. If you want that, you come. If you don't come after the service, see one of us. And we'll be glad to talk to you about it. Father, help us in Jesus' name. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.